What a great day it is indeed, a double candy day. Let's take time to come before our Lord and pray. Oh Lord, we simply rejoice over you and over this day. The incredible joy it is to partake and be part of what you are doing in little Wyatt Stevens' life. What an incredible moment this is. A reminder that you are working on us from the very beginning, that you have plans for us that far exceed our understanding. We praise you, O Lord. For indeed, Scripture tells us that each of us is fearfully and wonderfully made, all in your image. We thank you, O Lord, for the mighty gift of your Savior who makes possible not only this moment, but a moment that will extend into all eternity. And we praise you for that, O Lord. We pray that you would be with us this morning as we come before you to worship. Before we, as we come before you, we recognize that we are not as Jesus was who approached John the Baptist there for baptism but rather we continue to be layered in sin. We know that Jesus washes away our sin, and we know that we are to follow you, but Lord, we continue to fall away. We continue to struggle. You know our brokenness, and we thank you, O Lord, that you long ago planned for that in your son, Jesus, that in every way our every sin is washed away, that we are yours, and that he is our Lord and Savior. We thank you for the reminders of this this morning. We pray that you would guide us as we go into this world. For even now, as we get ready for Thanksgiving and the excitement of being together with family and even being here on worship on Wednesday evening, we recognize, O oh Lord, that life is fragile that what we plan doesn't always work out, that there are uncertainties that come our way. Even so, Lord, we see right now that there are those among us who are sick. Several are sick with COVID. And so we pray for your healing touch, O oh Lord, that you would restore and renew, that you would be with those who are feeling just poor. And so, Lord, we ask for your healing touch as well as for your protection, O oh Lord. We pray that you would watch over us and watch over the many who continue to recover from surgery as well, those who are hurting and those who are broken inside also, O oh Lord. Those who are tormented in the quiet of their hearts, we pray for your peace to come upon. All this we pray knowing that also there is a world around us that is hurting and struggling. It seems we continue to hear of the incredible atrocities that have taken place in the Middle East, the incredible struggle of good versus evil, of light versus darkness. Oh, Lord, we see the pain, and we see how all of that gets blurred. And we pray for your healing and your presence and your peace. You know what is right, O oh Lord, for nothing can be passed off as right before you that is wrong. So we pray, O oh Lord, that your kingdom would come and come soon. Please guide us continually through this week. 
be with us and help us to know how we are to follow you and be a blessing to others who we interact with. How we are to share your good news, your grace, the forgiveness that we have. We pray you would guide us, O Lord, and build us for those moments. That your spirit would walk alongside us. In all this, Lord, we come beside you now as fellow disciples with those who first followed you. And we hear your words teaching us how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For those of you who weren't with us last week, we um, delved into a letter, a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, the first letter that we have that he he wrote, and we spent time last week talking about an issue or concern that the people in Thessalonica, mainly the believers of Jesus Christ, they, their concern was simply this. They were so eager for Jesus' return, they were so expectant of his coming back in their lifetime that they were dealing with kind of a double grief. The grief was over those whom they loved and were in the faith who had since died. The grief, of course, was of losing the loved one, knowing that they would see them someday. But the other part of the grief was feeling that because they had died, that they wouldn't be present when Jesus returned. They wouldn't be there for the great celebration. And Paul spends time in the end of the fourth chapter explaining, oh, no, 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 they'll be there. Matter of fact, they're likely to be ahead of us and that all of us will be gathered together. We too will be lifted up. We will be gathered together as a delegation that goes out and meets Jesus as he comes and that we will help escort him back into this world. It's all a passage about comfort. It's all about trying to encourage the early church over an issue that we often don't think about, that Jesus may come back today. And what will that look like? Today, in chapter 5, we continue on with the theme of Christ's return. And Paul is shifting to another struggle, another concern within the church of Thessalonica concerning Jesus' return. And Paul is about to address that. And we would be well reminded that in the same way that we just watched the baptism of little Wyatt Stephen, that in that baptism, we're reminded of our own baptism. There's a reminding, a remembrance that goes forth right here when we witness a baptism. We smile and we joy, particularly with the little babies, because it's, a, it's moving. But we're also reminded that we too, at one time, were baptized. In the same way, Paul is pulling on a reminder to the church in Thessalonica, to those who believe in Jesus. He's reminding them of an important truth. And he's reminding them about 
the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord was a concept, a construct, a manner of speaking about when God would finally wrap everything up. What would that look like? Would that be a good day? Would that be a bad day? The day of the Lord. That's one of the issues for the church in Thessalonica. They're concerned about the day of the Lord. And once again, Paul desires to bring comfort. And here's why. I'm going to read a couple passages from the Old Testament concerning the day of the Lord. Hear this one from Isaiah. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Joel gets more to the point. The prophet Joel says this, and I will show wonders, speaking on behalf of God, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Doesn't sound like a day to look forward to. Amos the prophet wrote this on behalf of God. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or went into a house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? And gloom with no brightness in it? There are several more examples that speak of the day of the Lord, the judgment side of the day of the Lord, that sense that you cannot flee from the trouble that is coming. Now, there are also positive passages concerning the day of the Lord. But there is a part in which it unnerves any of us. What will it look like when Jesus returns? What will happen? And so Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica concerning these events. He's writing once again, just like we talked last week, he's writing with words of comfort. So let us pray that we might hear today's passage. Oh Lord, may you guide us through your word. May we hear it rightly and may your spirit work within our hearts that we might truly understand. Help us, O Lord, and may we receive comfort in doing so. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear the word of the Lord now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the first 11 verses. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction 
will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers and sisters, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'll remind you that just like last week, Paul is trying to bring words of comfort to the anxious church. How do we know that? How do we know that he's trying to bring comfort? Because how he wraps up what he's writing. He says, encourage one another, build one another up. It's okay, you can strengthen one another. Encouraging one another is, is that, that sense of helping the spur on, to help people keep moving. You know, sometimes we get caught standing still. We get stuck in our place, feel like nothing will change. Paul has a note at the end here of comfort to encourage, hey, because we are in Christ, we can keep moving. Because we have struggled with sin and, and are still struggling, we can keep moving through Jesus Christ. To build one another up means not just to keep moving. Sometimes motion isn't necessarily progress, but to keep moving in a manner that we build one another up. That is the sense of growth, that there's growth to happen in us. That once we've accepted Jesus, once we've been baptized, that things don't just stop there, but that there's a, there's a forward trajectory, there's a growth that is expected, and that we are to do that for one another. We're to encourage one another. We're to build each other up. We're to keep advancing. The other comfort that Paul gives is just before that when he explains, look, at that God has not destined us for wrath. That's not the idea. Those who are following Christ are not destined for wrath, but rather that we obtain salvation the hope of salvation, that we would have life with Christ from now on. These are those words of comfort that come at the end of all that Paul is sharing, which reminds us that what we read is really, all that comes before it is meant to be a comfort. It's not meant to pick apart and distill and trying to figure out just when the end time will be, but rather to understand that these are words of comfort. You see, the early church, Thessalonica, as well as other places, and I would dare say even now, is often wondering about when. When will Jesus come again? 
When will he return? When will that be? Think about it. When matters to us. You know, our planning for Thanksgiving, when it was a few months out, it was all conversation, but I didn't have to do anything. As it's gotten closer, I don't know about you, but my anxieties have started to go up a little more of what I need to do. I got it. I got it. I got it. It's a runaway. When that happens, we all remember. Let me tell you a story after worship of a friend of mine. When, when something's going to happen, changes, yes, I know, I'm preaching, it's terrible. When something happens, changes what we will do. If it's a week from now, we might wait a little. If it's tomorrow, we might do more preparation. If it is in the next hour, we are really moving hard. So the church is concerned about when because they want to be prepared, but they also want to make sure they fully understand who they are to be. And then there's just a natural curiosity. When will Christ return again? But the issue behind that question of when is, what if we're not ready? What if we're not ready? And so Paul is offering words of comfort, and he starts out by, it's a technique we all use. It's a technique of, of reminding someone something, um, but we don't want to really sound like we're reminding them. You've done it before, where you say to someone uh, that you know, they've got an important task to do, and you say something like, I know you won't forget about putting the trash out, um, but when you do, please make sure you know, we, we have ways of reminding someone without saying that we're reminding them. We have ways of saying, I know you're already thinking about this, and just, but just as, as, we're, as you're thinking about this, and we, we, we use ways to come alongside people, but our concern is they don't remember. And Paul writes, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you. Oh, yes, they do. For you yourselves are fully aware. Or have they forgotten? He's reminding them what they've already heard, what he already taught when he was among them. And he's doing it in a way of coming alongside of them, which is the first step of comfort, saying, you're not all messed up. You haven't, just because you've forgotten doesn't mean you're off or wrong. Rather, he's coming alongside. Like a coach comes alongside a player and says, we went through this, you remember this. And what he's reminding them is this, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. A thief in the night. The day of the Lord will come, the when will be like when a thief in the night comes. 
That does not sound like a pleasant image. Years ago, after we moved to Kalamazoo, we had friends of ours from New Jersey come out and uh, visit with us for a few days. They had boys the same age as our boys. They were good friends, and they played together. And when that day finally came for them to leave that early morning for their drive all the way back to New Jersey, we said our goodbyes. We continued our goodbyes along the, the walkway. And, and then they got in the car, and we went back towards the house to wave from the porch. And, and we're all ready to do our wave, and they all got out of the car again. And we're like, what's wrong? What's wrong? Someone in the night had stolen many of the items out of their vehicle. Back then, you remember the whole video players that you could mount to the back of the headrest to help the children on the long trips? They'd been taken. So now they had a 10, 11-hour journey ahead of them, and they had to travel like so many of us back in the 1960s and 70s and 80s. A thief in the night is both a surprise and unexpected, but it's also unwelcome. It's a turn of events that we'd rather didn't happen. Jesus says the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Not only is it a surprise, not only is it unexpected, but in many ways for many people, it will be an unwelcome reality. Remember what the prophet said? The pride and the proud, the haughty, it's not a good day. So where's the comfort in this? Paul reminds them, hey, you remember, it's going to become like a thief in the night. Well, and, and that here's the dynamic. People will be talking about everything is good, that, that there's peace and we have security, that there's a world of opposites that are going to take place when Christ returns. The world's going to be turned upside down. Everybody will be thinking that before he comes, they'll be saying, hey, there's peace and we're secure and things are good. And then what comes with the day of the Lord? Destruction. That all that we built up and thought was good, well, no, it won't be. Again, it sounds like a hard day. But the world and what we build in the world and who we are in the world, that will all be torn apart. It's a day of opposites. Paul has another image for us. Instead of a thief in the night, he has an image that it's like a, a, a pregnant woman who suddenly comes into labor. It's an image, again, that this time it's different than the thief of the night where it's a surprise and unexpected. And the image now shifts to a shift of, hey, there's expectation. We know this is coming. But then, truly, it comes. When labor hits, that's it. And I know I stand up here as someone who doesn't know firsthand of what I'm talking about. 
only firsthand of what I've seen. And my hand has been crushed. And I've been told to shut up. Because the one woman I love was in absolute agony. The problem with labor is that once it starts, it's started. It's not stopping. You can't push it back in the bag. It's not, it doesn't work that way. The day of the Lord, when it comes, it's going to come, and there's nothing going to stop it. Paul is given this image that you know what is happening with the day of the Lord. It's like a thief in the night. It's like a, a, a woman who goes into labor. And then he explains who they are. That it's not so much about when, but it's about status or position. It's about who we are. He uses imagery of a thief in the night and he explains to them, but you are not children of the night, you're children of the light. You're children of the day. You who follow Jesus are not of that reality. And he starts to draw upon the idea that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have been set apart. That the day of the Lord isn't something to fear. This is where that comfort begins. That he says, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. And then he begins to play with those images of, hey, look at darkness is when most people go to sleep. But you're awake. Darkness is the time when most people start to flirt with and play with those things that they'd rather not do in public or before everyone. People start to get drunk and they're no longer sober. They're not in their right mind. He's playing with the imagery. Don't take it all literally. Play with the imagery and understand what he's saying. That if we are not in Christ, if we don't know who Jesus is, if we don't know what God has given us in the grace and goodness of Jesus Christ, if we are unaware of that, then we're in darkness. We're blind. We're more concerned about sleep for the next day. We're more concerned about what we can do to numb our pain, our thoughts. And Paul is saying, that's not who we are. You're children of light, children of the day. It's not about being concerned about when because we might not be prepared enough. He's trying to give the image you are already in Christ. But he does have a message to push us forward in that reality. He gives us another image. He gives us an image of, of uh, armor. It's not the first time that Paul does this. Paul uses the image of armor, probably because they could see Roman soldiers around them all the time. He gives the image of armor more than one of his letters. And in the letter to the Ephesians, we, we read about the full armor of God. 
But this time, he gives us just two pieces of that armor. He gives us two pieces that are of a defensive nature. The breastplate, that which is closest to you, and the helmet. Those last means of defense. After the shield and everything, the breastplate is all that's left in the helmet. Those last means of defense, he says, the breastplate, full of faith and love. That if we're going to be children of the light, if we're going to be children of the day, we need to continue to rely on the faith that we have in Jesus Christ and the love that's been extended to us and the same love that we could extend to others. That's where we need to be. And as far as worrying about when, when will we return, will we be ready enough? The focus, the helmet protects what he calls the hope of salvation. That our minds are sober. This is where the whole armor imagery comes from, from Paul's mindset of us being not darkened, but being sober, being of, of clear mind, that we need to stay focused upon where we're going, where this all leads to our salvation. That that's to be protected. That's what we're supposed to keep first and foremost. That we are held by our faith in Jesus Christ, by the love that God has for us. And to recognize that this is all leading towards our salvation. Paul is trying to help us see that it's not about worrying about when and what are the right signs and when will this happen, but rather recognize who we already are. We are people that have been prepped for that day, for the day of the Lord. We've been called to live in the light, to live in the day, to be of clear mind about what all this is really about to live in the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, the love that God has for us, and have a clear understanding of where we're going on that glorious day. For as Paul again summarized, because in the end, God hasn't destined us for wrath like is what is heard on that day. God has not destined us for wrath, but for salvation. So, he says, hey, encourage one another with these thoughts. Build each other up, because we are all in the Lord, and in him is our hope. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, may you guide us as we go forth in this day. May we live for you and not for ourselves. May we live as children who are in the light and no longer worry about being in the dark. Help us to realize that your return will indeed be a surprise. But in the end, we are in a position for which your return is very welcome. May your kingdom come. In Jesus' name. Amen. For we are not destined for wrath, 
but for salvation with our Lord. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forevermore. Amen.